It is our privilege now to welcome to the pulpit Reverend Trudy White as she begins a wonderful eight-week series on the theme of Christ's revelation of things to come. To many of us here, she is no stranger. She was a wonderful part of our Rosewood Church as our associate minister for almost 10 years. And before that, she was a wonderful part of our congregation with her family since back in I believe it was 1983. And a few years ago, we asked her, we asked her if she would consider becoming the minister of our Markham Village Church, one of the congregations that we started. We asked her to become, a, to become the pastor of that church, not because we wanted to get rid of her here, because we loved her, we loved her, and we still love her deeply. But we knew that that congregation needed an outstanding pastor and preacher, and so we felt we needed to be unselfish and release her and give her our blessing. I have continued to miss her deeply and dearly, as some of you have heard me say on various occasions. But now would you give her a wonderful Rosewood Church of the Nazarene welcome as she begins this wonderful message. And uh, as maybe she says a few things, I want us to, to hand out, I'm sorry, we should have given out the handouts here. Can some of you just quickly come, please? We, we have handouts to help us with uh, the message tonight. All right. No uh, charge for the handout, okay? Just because you're here, no charge. How's that? Free to you. Free to you. Is that good, Kim? All right. And by the way, Kim, why don't you stand? Kim, just stand for a moment and turn around. Kim, Kim is the young lady who leads our outstanding Tuesday morning ladies' Bible study here in the foyer, and usually there are about 30 to 40 ladies, and that's actually a Bible study that Pastor Trudy White started years back, and then when she moved to our Markham Church, she was wise enough to ask Kim here to take over the leadership. <laughs> and that uh, ladies' Bible study has continued to blossom and bloom. And in fact, every Sunday night, I have to ask for your help in putting out uh, 30 to 40 chairs out there in the foyer because they like to have a big circle, all right? So, amen. Pastor Trudy White. God bless you. Okay, I know some of you, uh, you know, you're not into note-taking. Don't worry about it. But for those who are, uh, there you go. Thank you very much for the invitation uh, to come, to come down and to present uh, this. So over the next uh, little while, we'll be looking at sections from the book of Revelation. The truth is that this is an overview and as much as we would like more detail, there's only so much you can do in an eight-week uh, time frame. And besides, there's just so much in the book that I think we can only handle chunks at a time, right? I think, uh, oh, and, and by the way, Hannah, tell that baby boy, hold on. Just because he's going to hear certain things on Revelation, don't hurry, right? <laughs> Any nurses present? <laughs> anyway, I think more and more people are interested in this book because we are, you know, we are looking around and we are observing what is going on in the world and more and more we're feeling that we're closer to the end times and we're wondering and we are curious 
And therefore, we're looking for information in the Bible to help us determine if, in fact, we're in the end times or simply, you know, what to look for and what to expect as time unfolds. Of course, we live in uh, perilous and uh, frightening times, and I'm sure that every generation that has gone before us has thought so and wondered how it could possibly get worse. But we know it will, uh, so hence our desire to study the book of Revelation. So for your information, I have no expertise in this area, right? It, it just so happened that uh, from the time, uh, you know, I was 19 and I went to Ontario Bible College. This was one of my favorite classes. And over the years, I've studied it and happened to uh, share it uh, on different occasions. What you will find is that I've drawn uh, the material from four books. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's on the screen or it's on your handout. Uh, and these four books, you have the list there and from a variety of commentaries. So what I've done was taken the information from these different books and commentaries and just sewed them together to try to create for us uh, a message. But it's really a teaching time. Keep it in mind. It's really a teaching time. And so if you do have any questions, write them down, send me a note, and we'll see what we can do with that. All right? Now, one of the authors, says, uh, Spillsbury, says, Revelation is not a book for the faint-hearted. Its message is deeply disturbing. It unsettles us. It urges us to reevaluate the most fundamental of our convictions, our loyalties, and commitments. What are our true values? What is really the most important things in our lives? What would we be willing to die for? What does the evidence of our daily lives say about who we really are? These are the kinds of questions Revelation urges us to ask ourselves. At the most basic level, Revelation calls us to worship God. I want you to keep that in mind. This is the most important thing to get from this book. I know you're thinking of all, you know, all the things it's going to reveal and the things you're going to learn, but I want you to keep this uh, as the key, that revelation calls us to worship God. And so when all the terrible sights have passed us by and the sulfurous smoke has settled, one image must remain with us. There is one who sits on the throne. He sits in luminous splendor, surrounded by mighty celestial beings who continually cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And at his feet, the entire created order falls down and shouts, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the one on whom the vision focuses, the one whom Revelation calls us to adore. 
The book of Revelation also calls us to follow Jesus Christ, portrayed as a slaughtered lamb. His way is the way of suffering, the way of sacrifice. It's the way of salvation, yes. It's the way of glory, certainly and eventually. But it leads us through sometimes and oftentimes through defeat, dereliction, and death. In the book of Revelation, those who follow the Lamb follow him wherever he goes. And so that leads me to ask you your first personal question. Are you willing to follow Christ wherever he goes? How far are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to take a stand for him in your workplace, in your family, amongst friends who are atheists or agnostic or of some other faith? Are you willing to be identified with him when you are being made fun of, when you are thought to be phobic, when you're criticized as being intolerant, when you're ostracized, when you lose your job, and eventually when you can't buy food or get medical care or other benefits because you refuse to take a chip and have it implanted in your hand? Will you still follow Jesus when, because of your faith, you are persecuted, when you lose your comforts and your possessions that are very dear to us, when you have your rights and your freedoms restricted, taken away, maybe even tossed into jail, or even killed? Those are the questions you must be able to answer at this point in your life before things begin to change for the worst in this world. You have to know now just how far you are willing to follow Christ. The book of Revelation pushes us to answer those questions in preparation for the future. We must acknowledge that Revelation is a difficult book to understand, sometimes even a difficult book to stomach. More people are killed and struck down with disease than in any other biblical book. There are more calamities, more disasters, more horrors, more terrors than in any other book. And on top of all of that, the book is an enigma, as if it were written in code or a language that we do not understand. So what we want to do is we want to ask God for insight and understanding. We want to ask God for wisdom to know how to relate world events to Scripture. And we want to be careful not to jump to conclusions. The goal is to try our very best with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand the book of Revelation, to understand what it is saying, and simply to be prepared for what is to come. Now, I remember when I was uh, finishing up high school, I think it was, we lived in an apartment building down at Birchman and Sinclair. Uh, a, a couple friend of my, my mom's, they lived a few uh, floors below us. They were Christian. They knew I was Christian. They invited me over. 
never invited me before, never invited me back after, but they invited me over. And so invited, they sat there, I sat here, and I'm like, why are you inviting me over? And the reason they invited me over is they must have been studying the book of Revelation and decided that I needed to know that they were seeing part of the fulfillment uh, of the book of uh, Revelation and we were indeed in the end times. You see, as you go on and read in the book, you will realize that as the Antichrist rises up, one of the things that will happen to the Antichrist is he's going to have a fatal wound to his head, but he's going to recover. And so therefore, when Ronald Reagan got shot in the head and he recovered, they thought he was the Antichrist and they thought they needed to inform me of this. Also, another thing you need to know about the Antichrist is when he rises up, he's going to be a person of persuasion, you know, and, and, and people will be drawn to him, and, and he'll be charismatic, and you could say Ronald Reagan was that as well. Well, thank you very much, but I guess we're still waiting, you know? And so what I want to tell us to do is do not bury our heads in the sand, but neither do I want us to be jumping uh, to false conclusions as we see world events unfold. We should continually be praying for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we seek to line up world events with the scripture. So therefore, we cannot ignore the book of Revelation for the simple fact it's in the Bible. But also, there is a special message contained in it from God to us and a blessing that's attached to all who would read and understand. As the last book of the Bible, it has a special significance. It is a kind of climax or grand finale to uh, the biblical story. Now, no one likes to abandon an epic novel just a few pages uh, before the end, right? So knowing how it all turns out is vital to our understanding of the Bible. So we need to read it. Right? So it's vital to our understanding of the Bible, but it's also vital to helping us to persevere through trials and tribulations, and it's vital to helping us to continue to trust Christ and to put our hope in him. So since we'll be studying Revelation, it is important to understand what Revelation is. The word Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalyptus, and it means the uncovering, the unveiling, or the disclosing. Revelation is the disclosing of Jesus Christ. And it can be taken in two ways. One, as revealing of the person of Jesus Christ, or as the revealing of what he intends to do, starting at the church age, which started at Pentecost, and then running all the way through the end of time. So Revelation is about disclosing Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, and what he intends to do. You know, most people who study Revelation have this tendency to want to rush to those hot-button topics. You know, let's talk about the mark of the beast. Let's talk about the two witnesses to come later. And if you do that, then you are skipping huge chunks of the Bible that contain great truths that we need to learn. So let's start at the beginning. Revelation 1.1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. What do we learn right from the opening sentence of the book? We learn that the book is about revealing the person of Jesus Christ to the church. 
which includes revealing things that are to come, and all are revealed by Christ to the Apostle John. And Graham Lott said, In the book of Revelation, God uses prophecy to unveil Jesus, enabling us to see him in a unique way. And when we see him clearly, we see a vision of his glory that transcends our smallness. Isn't that magnificent? Uh, to be able to put into perspective the bigness, the vastness, the omnipotence, the, the majesty and the glory of God as compared to our smallness and our uh, finiteness. And then to be able to catch a picture, to catch a glimpse of his glory. How wonderful, how marvelous to know that our God is not limited and restricted and we serve an awesome, majestic God. And so that's what this book is all about, discovering Jesus in a new and fresh way. And as we look uh, towards the future through this book, we are going to see that despite everything that will happen, Jesus is our hope for the future. Jesus is our hope for the future. Always keep that in mind. And if we keep that in mind, then we are going to be able to make it through anything. The word revelation never occurs again in the book that has come to bear that name. Every other time the book refers to itself, it is as a prophecy or a book of prophecy. Let's read to verse 2, starting at the end of verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, verse 2, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 to 2 tells us who wrote Revelation. The human author of the book of Revelation is the apostle John, and he received the revelation as Jesus sent it through an angel. You know, some have tried to figure it out, is this the angel Gabriel, because Gabriel brought the message to Mary, but we just don't know, and the truth of the matter is, it's not important, right? It's John's task to record what he saw, and as an eyewitness, to testify about those things to us. Again, Ann Lotz writes this way, summing up what John tells us in Revelation. Here's a quick summary. With my own eyes, I have seen worldwide pestilence, pollution, persecution, and famine so severe that they wipe out a third of the earth's population. I have seen wars fought that were so destructive, uh, the blood of those massacred rose to the height of a horse's bridle. I have seen stars falling from the sky and mountains falling into the sea. I have seen a beast rise up out of the sea who rules the world and a false prophet who does miracles in his name. I have seen demons swarming over the earth and I have seen angels. I have seen hell and I have seen heaven. I have seen the sky unfold and a white horse appear whose rider is called Faithful and True, followed by the armies of heaven. I have seen Satan bound, Satan loose, Satan thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. I have seen the old earth passed away and the new heaven and earth come down. 
and over all and under all and around it all and through it all, at the beginning of it all and at the end of it all, I have seen Jesus Christ absolutely supreme as the victorious hope of the ages. That's what you're going to see when you read and study Revelation. Jesus is and will always be in control. It doesn't matter that the world appears to be falling apart. It doesn't matter uh, that the world appears to be chaotic and out of control. Jesus is and will always be in control. He's glorious and powerful and marvelous and awesome and almighty and, and supreme and is worthy of all of our worship and praise. He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of us staying faithful to him to the end. So never let us get distracted by the events to come and never let us get so caught up in our own lives and our own situations that we fail to see and appreciate Christ, his absolute supremacy, power, and sovereignty. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written, because the time is near. A blessing is imparted to all who read this book, who hear it, who obey it, who take it to heart. Lot says, what is this special blessing? It is the blessing of seeing Jesus. It is the vision of his glory that gives hope. We are blessed because we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, and onto Jesus who is present and in control. We look beyond our temporary world to an eternal world. We are blessed because we know greater things are to come as God unfolds eternity, and we are blessed because we know that we, as we have placed our faith and hope in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as we live for him, as we are obedient to him every day, that our eternity in heaven and in his presence is secure. You see, Revelation is more than a book of doctrine, correction, and instruction. It is also a book of prophecy. God did not have John write Revelation for it to be ignored. He had John write it uh, to be read, heard, and kept. And yet some people won't read it because they're either uninterested, they're scared, or they're afraid it's too hard to understand. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have read the book of Revelation? Woo, I'm impressed. Well done. So if you haven't read it for a while, you know this is going to go over, well, technically it's an eight-week thing, but there's a one-week I'm not doing it. So, you know, you have nine weeks to read the book. How is that, right? Read a few chapters a day, and uh, I'm sure, you, you know, you're preparing to come back to the next session, right? This is the only place in Scripture where a blessing is offered to those who would read the book. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And maybe because Jesus knew that the content would be disconcerting and difficult to grapple with and that many would neglect this book or ignore the prophetic revelation. 
Hence, the promise of a special blessing if we would undertake to study this part of the scripture. Therefore, I believe the promise implies that those who read the book of Revelation have sufficient understanding to put into practice the things learned. So we're all able. Prophecy tells us of things to come, which may be near, according to the prophet's understanding. But we know a thousand years is like one year to the Lord. A thousand days is like one. And so the timing of some of the events is really difficult to get. And so we don't want to get hung up on uh, predicting when things are going to happen. And I want to caution you that whether it's on the radio, whether it's on TV, whether it's somebody in the pulpit that's telling you this is going to happen, beware. It's a prophecy of things to come, but God did not give us a timeline. He didn't say on January 1st, 2019, you know, somebody tells you that, run, okay? And this is why you need to study your Bible. You need to know it so that when you start hearing things, you need to question. If you don't question, it's a problem. As Christians, we should never just be spoon-fed. God gave us a mind and an intellect to study his word when, when we're hearing messages preached to compare to make sure that what's being said is lined up with scripture and that Christ is always the focus, always the one who gets the praise. If it doesn't line up, it is not a word that we need to take to heart, right? And so there is a blessing here. Uh, the timing, we don't know. So what have we learned so far? The book of Revelation is about Jesus as revealed by him to the apostle John. It is about things to come. We need to read, hear, and keep it. And when we do, we will be especially blessed. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. John is writing primarily to the seven churches in Asia, but the message is to all, including us. Who are the seven churches? We will discover in chapters 2 and 3 that they are the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. If you look at your map, you will see that they are located in a western Turkey. All right? In your map, you, will, you have three pictures. You have the, the colorful one that's a close-up that shows you where the churches are located in Asia. And then if you look at the map on the top right, that's a, 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 a further away picture. And so that you can see uh, that these churches were located just east of the Aegean Sea east of Greece. And these churches were either directly or indirectly the result of Paul's missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts. So that just gives you a general picture of where the churches were located uh, when this book was written. Before Jesus, through John, addresses the churches directly, he greets them. And the greeting is grace and peace. That, was, that is the common need of all people. Without the grace of God, we would perish. Without the peace of God, we would be unsure of our salvation. 
the source of grace and peace is the eternal God. The God who is, the God who was, and the God who is to come. God who gives the grace and peace is described as how? Him who is, who was, and is to come. So we see Jesus is, he exists now, and he reigns from heaven. Jesus was the one who created the world and saved us. Jesus is coming again, referring to his second coming. This greeting also comes from the seven spirits who are before his throne, before God's throne. Now, quite often, the number seven, when used with spirits, refers to the Holy Spirit in his complete and perfect role. The Holy Spirit occupies a place before the throne of God. It's not seven spirits. It's just the complete perfect Holy Spirit before the throne of God, and he has a sevenfold nature. And this nature is made up of seven virtues, which are called the seven spirits. And so you have two columns, the seven spirits, um, and the spirits defined, but it's really the Holy Spirit and describing his nature. So you have the spirit of the Lord, that's the nature of Jesus. You have the spirit of wisdom, that's the ability to make the right decisions. You have the spirit, of, he has the spirit, of, he's the spirit of understanding. That's the ability to understand everything. The spirit of counsel, uh, advice, the ability to give us sound advice. The spirit of might, the power to do what God wants. The spirit of knowledge, the ability to know beyond human comprehension. The spirit of the fear of the Lord, the ability to respect uh, God's will. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. And at the same time, those characteristics of his and those virtues of his are given to us as we need help. For instance, you know, if we need um, help in making the right decisions, we pray to God and, and his, his spirit of wisdom, he gives us that wisdom. So just let me back up a tiny bit in verse 4 to help us to understand two very important things about the book of Revelation. First, it is a letter. Second, it is an apocalypse. We know it's a letter, by the way, it starts out in verse 4, John to the seven churches. This was a, a standard letter format in that day. And what is important about knowing that it is a letter is that we're reading someone else's mail. And because of that, uh, we need to know something about the author of the letter and about the people that it's written to. We also need to know something about the events and circumstances that led to the writing of the letter. Why did the author write this particular letter at this time and in this manner? What was the letter supposed to accomplish? And we will discover that as we go along further. The author, as verse 4 says, is John. He refers to himself as John the prophet because he thought of himself as someone with a message that had been communicated to him directly from God. And the church has always believed that this is the same John who was one of the twelve. The son, one of the sons of Zebedee, his brother, was James. And according to early church tradition, 
This John moved to Ephesus where he became a pastor to the Christian communities in Asia Minor and at one point uh, was exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith and it was while he was there on the island of Patmos that he received this vision. The recipients of the letter uh, were the seven churches of Asia, which meant that this letter was meant to be read aloud and it was meant to be circulated among the churches. Just as an aside, the number seven, again, has important significance in the book of Revelation. It indicates something like wholeness, completeness. The fact that Revelation addresses precisely seven churches is its way of alerting us to the fact that it's really speaking to the church as a whole. The second thing about this book is that it is apocalyptic, which was understood as a heavenly uh, revelation delivered to a prophet in symbolic form and includes highly uh, dramatic events and images. When we read Revelation, we need to keep this in mind that we are not reading a straightforward story it, because it includes so many metaphors and imagery. After all, Jesus was never literally a lamb. And certainly, as far as I know, there's no such thing as a lamb with seven eyes or as we uh, read earlier, you know, seven spirits of God. These are metaphors and images and symbols that are meant to create pictures to transport us to another reality where we see that, there, that what exists outside of the world as we know it is much bigger and that there really is a cosmic battle raging that affects our eternal destiny. So what have we learned? This book is a letter to the seven first century churches addressing their spiritual needs, but it's also a letter to us, one of encouragement as well as warning. This book is also apocalyptic, meaning it speaks through metaphors, imagery, symbols. And as we get into it, we will see great battles raging, uh, great destruction on earth and in heaven and so forth. The number seven, we've learned, is used here, uh, is one of wholeness and completeness. And the Holy Spirit's uh, diverse nature is reflected in what he does. Before we continue, I want to give you an outline of the book of Revelation. There it is, simply three parts. Easy? You can remember this. There is the introduction. It basically takes up the first three chapters. Then the bulk of Revelation is the main vision from chapters 3 to 22. And then you have the conclusion in chapter 22. But if you take the introduction, the first three chapters, you can break that down even further. You have part one. Uh, the first three verses, which is the title and the blessing. And this section establishes the ultimate source of revelation. Who is that? It's God. Part two is a greeting and a hymn of praise. And so in those verses, this section tells us uh, about what or who the revelation is all about. God. Then part three of the introduction is the vision of Christ and the introduction to the seven letters. And, and this, uh, you know, gives the setting of the main vision. John is on the island of Patmos. He's exi exiled for his faith. And, and this would have really connected 
uh, with the John's readers because a lot of them were being persecuted for their faith. And then the introduction uh, concludes with John's vision of Christ as all-powerful, uh, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who holds the life of the church in his hands and whose words to the churches are of absolute importance. And then part four of the introduction, which is chapter two to chapter three, uh, is the letters to the seven churches. And these letters to the churches sum up the experiences, the successes, and the failings of real life Christian communities and from which we need to learn because we too are faced with uh, such challenges. So that's the outline and if we keep these notes handy, uh, they will help you to stay on track. The main story is always about God, about his work in the present and as the future unfolds. Verse five. Let's uh, finish off at verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You see, John had pronounced greetings and said, in verse 4, that the greetings came from God the Father and from the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, he now says, and from Jesus Christ himself. So, who is Jesus Christ? He is the faithful witness, meaning Jesus was faithful in all the things that God gave him to do. He was the Word made flesh. He's a faithful example of the very nature of the living God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to see God, take a look at Jesus. Amen. He is the faithful witness. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, meaning that Jesus was the first to die and be raised from the dead to never die again. You might say, well, what about Lazarus? Yes, he died. He was raised from the dead, but he died again. You know, what about this, uh, that woman's son that Jesus raised from the dead? Yes, he died. Jesus raised him, but he died again, right? And so Jesus was the, is the only one to die, to ra be raised from the dead, to ascend into heaven, and who is coming back. How does knowing all of this help and encourage us? As the song goes, we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And our hearts testify to the presence of the living Savior. And we have, from that moment of his resurrection, witnesses, 500 plus, who had witnessed not only his torture, but his crucifixion and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so we have uh, those testimonies that we are basing our faith on as well. You know, these 500 plus walked with him and talked with him and knew that he rose again. And, you know, if we didn't have that, if we didn't have those eyewitnesses, if we didn't have those experiences, I don't believe we would have a Bible and we certainly wouldn't have Christians. We wouldn't have followers because who in their right mind is going to perpetuate a myth and die for a myth? Who, who is going to die for an imposter, right? And so we serve a risen Savior. All other world religions serve men who eventually died, and that was the end of them. You know, um, 
All that lives on are their philosophies and teachings, which still leave people who follow wondering about their eternal destiny. We serve a God who is alive and well and active in the world and in our lives, and because our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we know for sure that we have a destiny in heaven and that is secure as long as we hold on to our faith, right? So what else do we learn about Jesus? Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Wouldn't some of them be so surprised? They think they're in charge. You know, they think they're their own little gods ruling their own little kingdoms. This is Jesus' position in the world. He is the world ruler, and even though world rulers do not as yet realize Jesus is in charge, we know he is in charge. The day will come when he will physically reign over every power on earth. This gives us hope, especially in nations with unjust, selfish, greedy, narcissistic, proud, evil rulers. We know that righteousness will win out. We know how the story ends. We know that while some of Christ's will is being done now on earth, eventually everything done on earth will be done in accordance with his will. Fulfilling verses like Isaiah 9, 6-7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Psalm 72:11. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Zechariah 14.9, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Our encouragement from these verses is that all people will have to eventually recognize that Jesus is ruler. We can choose to do so now, willingly, and follow him and receive our reward, or others can wait until he returns when there's no longer any choice and therefore have to face their consequences. And if you think we're finished with verse 5, there's just not quite so. There's one more thing that God wants us to know, and it's simple. He loves us. You know that. You've been told that. You read it all the time in Scripture. He reminds us in verse 5 that he loves us with an everlasting love, a love that will never fail. And the proof of his love is in the fact that he has removed our sins by Jesus dying on the cross for us. So let this truth be a reminder to all of us not to forget who we are, that we are a saved people serving a risen Savior who is in charge, the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Let us wrap it up tonight with verse 6. And has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Because of who we are in Christ, we now have new responsibilities. Who has Jesus made us to be? He's made us to be royalty and priests. And that tells us 
of our responsibility to the world. It tells us that we have a responsibility to bear witness for Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, righteous kings led the people as God led them. And that is our responsibility today as royalty, right? To give direction and guidance to people who are seeking to know the Lord. Also in the Old Testament, people did not directly approach God. They approached God through a priest. The priest acted as an intermediary. A priest acted as that buffer where you can go and be prayed for, and the priest would intercede on your behalf. With Christ's victory on the cross, that pattern has changed. And so now we can come directly into God's presence without fear, and we are given the responsibility of bringing others to him. So when we are united with Christ as members of his body, we join in his priestly work of reconciling God and man. That's our role. It's important. We can't fail because if we do, there will be people who will not get to know Jesus as Savior and therefore people who won't go to heaven. We will be successful as a royal priesthood because we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We're not doing it on our own. But first, I think we need to have and therefore to pray for a sensitivity to people's desperate situation and to pray for a willing spirit to respond to them. Unfortunately, we're too wrapped up in our comfortable lives, you know, in pursuing our own goals and our own agenda and making sure we have the things we need and fulfilling our responsibilities and being nice and comfy and cozy and having fun and, you know, taking care of ourselves. But we have to wake up. The church has to wake up and we have to look around at the people that, you know, uh, we don't have to go overseas anymore. The nations are here in the GTA. And we all have different circles of influence. And so if we're impacting even our own circle, put them all together. Look at how uh, many people we will be impacting. But we need to start looking beyond ourselves to people and seeing that they are seeking and they are searching. But they're lost and they're confused and they're discouraged and they're hopeless and they're fearful and they're grasping at this religion and that religion and putting it all together to make their own buffet. And they are spiritual, certainly, but they're still lost. And so they're trying to fill that spiritual need with pleasure. And they're trying to fill their deepest need with status and wealth. And that emptiness is still not going away. And we need to see their desperate situation. They are lost and they're dying. And what are we going to do about it? Okay, I know you're not going to take a soapbox and go stand on the corner, but you have enough family and friends that don't know the Lord that you should be praying, Lord, every time I'm together, I'm not going to hammer them over the head with the the Bible. I'm not going to corner them and lecture them because you know that's not going to get you anywhere, right? 
but we need to be praying for the opportunity. Oh, Lord, every time I'm with somebody that doesn't know you, would you just give me a sensitivity to their need? And then, then give me the opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, oh, God, give me the courage. And give me the words to say, even if you simply start with, I'm praying for you, God loves you. And you start building, next thing you know, as your friendship is growing, you will be able to expand that conversation, right? And so we need uh, to step up, move beyond ourselves, to be influencers for Christ to those around us, to those we come into contact with on a daily basis. That's your introduction to the book of Revelation. Amen. Amen. All right.